Welcome to the first episode of Andy Here's the 80s, the podcast where I find out what music is worth owning from the 1980s. With me, of course, is my guest and co-host, Aaron Keck. Hello. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Good. I'm excited to go on this musical journey we're about to embark on. I'm supposed to be a child of the 80s, and I have never actually listened to like hardly any 80s music. So this is going to be Andy and Aaron Here's the 80s. It's going to be good. <laughs> yeah, I think it'll be fun. Is yeah. it Andy Here's the 80s? Is it like you listen to the 80s, or is it Andy, comma, Here's the 80s? It is spelled Here's as in H-E-A-R-S, but uh, I like the I'm going the with the homophone. Yeah, yeah, I like it. <laughs> so I was obviously born in the 80s, so have very little context for what this is. And I started this project... Because I organized all of my music uh, chronologically and saw that the 1980s section was incredibly small. It has seven albums. There in were it, y'all. seven yes. in them. We're going to hear He's them got all. this huge uh, multi shelf collection of CDs and, and other discs, and it's like 1993 is a shelf long, and 1994 is a shelf long, and the 1980s is this lovely little seven disc yeah. collection. Even the 60s and 70s, there's at least a couple dozen. Whereas the 1980s was, like you said, seven albums. Seven albums, yeah. So I wanted to figure out why that was and what maybe I could use to fill out that section. And also not the seven albums that you would ordinarily think either. Definitely you, know, you think not. of the classic albums from the 80s, which we'll listen to in subsequent episodes, uh, but those aren't the ones that were on the shelves. So, no, yeah. not even close. <laughs> uh, so the we will listen to seven albums, uh, not in front of you right now we listened to them prior to this but we'll talk about all seven in chronological order uh starting with 1982's combat rock by the clash the clash so i really enjoy london calling Mm -hmm. which came out in 1979 yeah that's probably one of my favorite albums of all time probably just 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 sort of a baseline because we're going to be talking about music what are your favorite albums i would say if i was going to go top five i would listen to Dark Side of the Moon. Okay. I would say You Forgot It in People by Broken Social Scene. I would say probably London Calling is in there. I would say The Mollusk by Ween mm-hmm. is in there. And I would say um, Most F and Talib Kweli's Black Star. Okay. 1998. That one's one of the best. It's pretty time. good for right off the top of your head. Yeah. Like I was totally putting you on the spot. <laughs> it's like, by the way, what are your top five albums now? Go. Yeah. Uh, As someone who's watched High Fidelity a number of times, I can <laughs> rattle off any number of top five lists. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we've got some Clash and we've got some Pink Floyd today, not Dark Side and not London Calling. Right. In one case, kind of unfortunately. Yes, yeah. definitely. Uh, not, I think uh, Combat Rock is still very good. Oh, yeah, definitely. Uh, which I can't say for all of the ones we're going to hear. But <laughs> uh, I don't think it's a significant drop-off from London Calling. I think it's a different kind of... Uh, album a little bit but the clash still have a very distinct sound and i think that is represented on yeah absolutely i was listening to a an interview with henry rollins recently and Mm. he was talking about the state of political affairs today what with trump and all that uh and he like looked into the microphone looked into the cameras very seriously and he said look this is what punk rock has been preparing us for this moment right now in 2017 joe strummer was getting us ready for this back in 1982 <laughs> yeah. when he was writing this stuff go back listen to the clash and you will understand how to combat political discord today oh yeah and i think he's exactly right and i mean well, let's just take a listen to some of the first track 
which is obviously very relevant. Yeah, I of uh, listening to seven albums, and I love "Rock the Casbah," which is on mm-hmm. Combat Rock, possibly my favorite song of all seven albums combined. If I had to pick a number two, it's "Know Your Rights." Yeah. Off, it's track one off of this album. So here it's so is good. Roughly thirty seconds of "Know Your Rights." So yeah, definitely relevant today. This song opens with him just screaming, this is a public service announcement with guitars. And then it's just this like joyous explosion of music. And then within 30 seconds, it turns from that into this just unbelievably biting satire. It's so good. I, I actually got this one probably only about three or four years ago after realizing that I loved London Calling so much, but it was mm-hmm. the only Clash album I had, and tracked it down at like a Barnes & Noble or something like that, which is the only place you can buy CDs anymore. Right, today. right. And they still got FYEs around, right? <laughs> Do they? I think so, yeah. Uh, I, think but, there's, I think if you really dig into Amazon, you can find stuff yeah, too. Yeah, oh, yeah, certainly a lot of these come from Amazon. <laughs> yeah. The ones we'll get for the show. Oh, yeah, most yeah, of which yeah, are, definitely. Are from Amazon. But uh, yeah, I remember getting it and putting it in and going... This could have been made a month ago. Oh, yeah. 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 Uh, it was made in 1982, came out in May. It was their fifth album. Mm-hmm. Uh, and one interesting thing is they, this is a single album, takes up one LP. London Calling was a double, and then Sandinista, the one right before this, was a triple album. Yeah. So they were scaling back a little bit. Yeah, I think they yeah. realized they were getting... A little off course, maybe. Yeah. And our message, our message isn't going to get out there unless we actually do sell it to somebody. Yeah, exactly. yeah. Uh, And this was uh, very well selling. It sold. Um, let's see, it went double platinum, uh, at least in yeah. America. Well, it's got the two. I mean, London, just the title track off of London Calling, definitely. Mm-hmm. But possibly other than that, it's got the two sort of most oh, yeah. immediately recognizable Clash songs right back to back, which is Rock the Casbah. And should I stay or should I go? Which, by the way, I've always sort of been a little bit curious about the idea of The Clash as the only band that mattered, Mm -hmm. having listened basically only to the singles, which include Should I Stay or Should I Go, which is not a particularly political song. That's true. Until you listen to it in the context of this album, when all of a sudden, just because it falls into the context of all of the other songs, it takes on this much more sinister overtone, which is awesome. Mm -hmm. I love it so much. And you have to imagine a lot of people are listening to it last year in England. Oh, yeah. Oh, God, yeah. Brexit, yeah. (laughs) yeah. Uh, this was also one of the last, really the last true Clash album, considering after this, their lead guitarist, uh, Mick Jones, and the drummer, Topper Hedden, both left after this album. Mm-hmm. They went on tour, and Topper left uh, 
for, I think he quit of his own volition, but the Mick Jones was fired due to punctuality issues, which is probably code for something else. Punctuality but... <laughs> would be an awesome name for a punk album, <laughs> yep, by yeah. the way. There, ha- uh... there got to be one Because <laughs> he showed up late to rehearsals, they had to fire him. That yeah. is the worst reason to get fired from The Clash. But this is a good one to go out on. I mean, there is one oh, more God, yeah. Clash album after this, but I think this is probably the true last clash album oh yeah definitely and and it's so good i mean it's it's like it, re- it really is like you, you think about you think about punk fans and we're going to get to some some albums later uh today which i listened to in the immediate aftermath of listening to the clash mm-hmm. and they just pale in comparison in terms of the attempt to be angry the attempt to be sort of emotional and speak out against the you know reaganism thatcherism of the 80s the clash just did it so well yeah in a way that very few other bands even approached and you think about punk music like mainstream punk music i don't think anything even like you talk about black flag and some of the the hardcore sort of underground stuff but in terms of punk albums that that make it to the mainstream like you've got to get to maybe the mid two thousands when Green Day finally comes around to American Idiot, right? That you get anything that even remotely approaches this, and that's like a twenty year gap. Yeah, certainly as far as like mainstream audiences yeah. are concerned. Yeah, definitely. So now let's go to the next one, mm. which is April of nineteen eighty three, the Violent Femmes debut album. I can't believe that the Violent Femmes, like, and I always associate Violent Femmes with 1986, and the reason I do that is because Blister in the Sun is the opening track on the Gross Point Blank soundtrack, okay. which is where I really first encountered Blister in the Sun and actually like sat down and listened to it. Uh, so I just assume that this is a band from 1986. I think I might have that soundtrack, actually. It's a good soundtrack. It's got a lot of good stuff on it. But yeah, uh, it's weird because when I got the, I might have gotten it the same trip to Barnes and Noble as I got that Combat Rock album. But I remember getting that it poor in, person at the Barnes and Noble. <laughs> like, what are you doing back here? The books are why are you doing? What are those things? Compact discs. We even still have those. You can't leave this section if, unless, until you buy these. <laughs> these things, this that thing will beep if you yeah. if you try to walk out of the, the really, DVD I, section. Really, I just I don't believe that you will buy these because <laughs> nobody does. But. But yeah, this one, I always, I would have assumed it came out in like 91, yeah. if you had asked me, cause, but obviously that's when I was listening to the radio yeah. at the time, but it didn't, uh, it didn't actually, it, it was a slow burn for mm-hmm. them. I mean, they put out a bunch of albums, but it went platinum in 91, which kind of tells you it took almost eight years to go platinum. Yeah, yeah. Which, granted, that's a lot of albums every year anyway. Right. Not everybody goes platinum, but... This was something that uh, I mean, it doesn't have a sound that necessarily represents the '80s. I don't think it has. A... It's a, it's a really unique sound. Yeah, yeah. I want to talk about the. I want to talk about like the 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 sound of Violent Femmes and just sort of the the mood that it evokes, which is really unique. Mm-hmm. Uh, in a minute after we listen to some of the tracks, but Violent yeah. Femmes is is a band that I think very unfortunately, and this is not really fair to them, but this is also neither a criticism nor a compliment. Violent Femmes is a band that to me meets the definition of a one hit wonder, yeah. insofar as. Uh, my definition of a one-hit wonder is when you're listening to the radio and the DJ says, coming up next, we've got this band. You already know what song yeah. it's going to be. Like, this could be a band that's been around for 30 years and has produced all kinds of great albums. But if they say, coming up next, we've got this album or this band, 
you know it's going to be Blister in the Sun. <laughs> yeah. So it's kind of unfair to Violent Femmes because they're a great band. I, but... would, I would say they've got, they're at least a one album wonder. Definitely. Because, uh, yeah. I mean, Blister in the Sun, certainly. But Kiss Off right after that, Gone Daddy Gone. There's some songs. Gone Daddy Gone is great. Definitely yeah. got a lot of yeah. play. Uh, but, yeah, they put out, I think, six or seven albums total. But nobody, I, even the members of the band, I don't think could name a song <laughs> from a, another one. But or the want, titles of the albums. Yeah, or... I wanted to play um, the third track on this one, which is one of the ones that was not played nine million times this on the radio. Please do not go. a unique harmony yeah especially in that song yeah i was uh as listening to this uh in the in the car uh driving home one day and it just this album hit me in a way that all of the other albums like even the really really great ones that we're going to talk about didn't hit me it just the the mood that it evoked it was like violent femmes to me is if you locked a, a bunch of like late high school early college age teenagers in a room mm -hmm. with a guitar and a drum set and every lou reed clash and ramones album ever made and just didn't let them out for a year this is what would result <laughs> yeah like they just they they learn how to sing they learn how to play their instruments and they were just heavily influenced by that kind of twisted mm -hmm. uh mainstream punk and just turned it into their own sound yeah kind of a like slight psychedelic bend yeah, to the lyrics yeah. a little bit uh, it's very simplistic mm -hmm. but also interesting and it reminds me of like the cool down like this is the this is the band that you want playing like you you go to a concert and you've got the you've got your headliner and then you have the opening act and mm -hmm. it's always some like random opening act that you never heard of violent femmes is the band that i want playing after the headliner uh, yeah. like the headline like say it's the like a clash concert like go in the clash concert and you have this sort of explosion of sound and music and joy and anger and emotion and feeling mm -hmm. violent femmes is the is that sort of breath of air at the end of it yeah. it's like, like you've still got that you've still got that feeling you've still got that emotion but it's like you're riding in the car in the yeah. back seat on the way home when a band does a second encore and it's yes. just an acoustic set yeah the, you know. yeah that's violent fans yeah. yeah i love them it's funny i mean you think about it in the context of the 80s which is like the decade of excess mm -hmm. and stuff like that when they their drum kit is really just a snare drum. Yeah. In this. It's not so stripped down that it's not even a whole drum kit. Yeah. Uh, I think it was, um, 
I'm gonna I'm gonna go super philosophical. I think it was Theodore Adorno, and if I if I'm wrong, then I've already tried to go philosophical and I failed miserably. But I think it was Theodore Adorno who was talking about uh modern art in sort of the 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 modern age when everything has been commodified and co-opted by capitalism mm -hmm. and everything is mass produced and everything real art is the firework is that sort of explosion in an instant that can't be reproduced that disappears immediately uh, that you just have to capture in an instant and that's what art can be in the modern age and what i think the violent femmes is or what the violent femmes are is the sort of trickle of sparks at the end of the firework like the clash is the firework violent femmes is that sort of still impressive still awe-inspiring but simultaneously almost calming like come down from the explosion mm -hmm. yeah that's good and that's it that's all i got and that's it yeah <laughs> and this uh the cd track does have two bonus tracks which are not good so don't listen to them. <laughs> It's what happens when you go to Barnes and Noble. <laughs> yeah. Like, we've got extras. The next one on the list is an interesting one. Uh, <laughs> September of 1987. Uh-huh. Pink Floyd. This course. is one of the greatest rock bands of all time, by the way. One so of my favorites. Anything that they produce is going to be high quality. I mean, I've already said that Dark Side of the Moon, one of my top five yes. of all time. Yep. There's a wall poster just behind me. Right there. Yeah. Uh, so, there's there's not a uh, there's not a momentary lapse of reason poster. There is right not. It would make here. a good poster because the cover is very cool. Yeah, the classic uh, Pink Floyd collaborator Storm Thorgerson did the artwork for it. Mm. Uh, but that's kind of the extent of the interesting <laughs> parts of this. Uh, you know, I wanted at one point. I mean, as a as a fan of Pink Floyd, I wanted to mm. see what they were up to, uh, and I didn't have. Um, the one right before this, which is Final Cut, mm -hmm. which is their only other 1980s album. The Wall, of course, 1979. Uh, so I got this one. This is the first uh, album they made after Roger Waters left the band. Uh, he didn't even really want them to use the name Pink Floyd. And maybe they shouldn't have. This is A lot of people consider it essentially a David Gilmore solo album. And pretty much by this point, every member of Pink Floyd had made a solo album mm. uh, outside of this. And I do like David Gilmore a lot. If you if you ask me to really pick a favorite member, I might pick David Gilmore. Mm. I, I love his guitar playing. Uh, and I even like, he put out a solo album in the 2000s at one point uh, on an island, which I think is really good. I don't know if I heard that before or after this, but this is not a, a good album. <laughs> I, I don't. I mean, it's not very interesting. I don't Laying think. Laying down the hammer on a momentary lapse of reason. This is. You need that. It, it's obvious from this album that you need Roger Waters to balance out uh, the rest of the band. Yeah. I think he brought an edge to it, a, a little bit of acidity, you know, to the group. But yeah. this is just kind of lame there's also <laughs> there's also an extent to which like what really sets pink floyd apart in the in the 70s like with dark side and the wall mm -hmm. is just how far ahead of everyone else oh, they yeah. were in terms of their output and there are there are bands and there are artists who like for a brief period of time they're ahead of the curve they're the trendsetters they're the ones that everyone follows but i think this is true with just about every artist or every band that is on that cutting edge sooner or later 
the cutting edge catches up to them and surpasses them and then you find mm -hmm. their later output where they're not setting the trends they're actually following the trends and right. if a band can go a couple years or five years before that happens that's great the really great ones the ones who just define what rock music and pop music is mm -hmm. uh will are, are able to make this uh, are able to make this last for maybe 15 20 years madonna's great because she starts setting the trend in the early 80s and it's not really until the 2000s that you start to hear her people catch up be derivative mm -hmm. Yeah, Pink Floyd. This is them. This is this is Pink Floyd. Uh, no longer setting the trend, and in fact, just producing music that sounds like it's generic. 80s yeah, music. I know. And this is kind of like. Uh, well, let's let's listen to a track. This is the yeah. fourth track on it. One slip. Okay. I hear a little bit of that. I want my MTV. You can you can kind of yeah. see him trying to channel that uh, that dark side of the moon. Yeah, like yeah. Alarm bells from time alarm bells. Kind of going the, yeah, the slot machine there. Yeah, and yeah. I mean, it's it's quality. Like they know their way around a recording studio. Right. It's just it just doesn't grab you. Can we play uh, a few seconds off of track? Is it track eight, the one that we were talking about, Terminal the Frost? Instrumental. The instrumental. Yeah the, yeah. the whole second side is nearly all instrumental. Yeah. Uh, you know which, you know. Maybe they're trying to channel that uh, Berlin Bowie kind mm -hmm. of like sound, but it, that doesn't really work either. Let's hear uh, track eight.
Which really just sounds like the themed song to a syndicated drama about Coast Guard officers who yeah. fight crime. <laughs> it, it could be like any kind of generic <laughs> 80s background It's music. the synthesizer, the drum machine, and the saxophone, mm-hmm. and nothing else. And this is, sort of, this is sort of like the reason I don't have a lot of music from the 80s, mm-hmm. is because, you, you know, this is, that's kind of the joke, right? That this is what the 80s sounds yeah, like. Yeah, yeah. And they are proving my point to a a certain degree but and it's funny because this one i was not the only one fooled clearly because this album sold four million copies Mm. in the u.s alone so other people were hoping for another good pink floyd album did it get good reviews when it came out or i I think they were still kind of average yeah you know i think people thought it was fine yeah nobody was raving about it but i don't think anybody threw it in the river yeah, i think at a certain point once you've once you've established yourself with right. uh, a lot of great material in the past you're gonna get a pass mm-hmm. on sort of middling mediocre stuff at least for a while yeah uh the other is why you look at the grammys and all of the the nominations go to bands who were really good uh, yeah. 20 years ago and mm-hmm. are still producing things the the uh as uh, like i said roger waters not on this album uh, who replaced him in the studio was tony levin who was a bass player a very prolific session musician who actually played probably most relevant to this on every uh, Peter Gabriel album, which you can definitely hear. I think it this kind of sounds like a Peter Gabriel album at some point. To, you know, obviously not to not to the benefit of the band, but right. It's interesting to see what kind of dynamic just changing one member kind of has on an album. Yeah. But yeah, it's not very good. It's not very good. <laughs> yeah. We're gonna disagree on uh, on one of these albums coming up, but so far, so far, it's yeah. been pretty, pretty, pretty much in agreement. So the next one, chronologically, we go to June of 1988, which is Public Enemy's second yes. album. So this is where we've got the actual physical discs here. Yeah, just proving to the audience that I do collect all these CDs. Although you're, although you're not uh, sufficiently hipster because you don't have them on vinyl. Uh, yeah. Like I was listening, we haven't gotten to Sonic Youth yet, but I was listening. I was reading some uh, some reviews of Daydream Nation, and there are like several people online who have written paragraphs long reviews comparing the sound quality of the CD to the sound quality of the vinyl, and oh, the the drumming gets over compressed, uh-huh. and now uh, you just really need to go back and get the vinyl. I'm reading this, I'm like, oh my god, these people exist. <laughs> yeah. I've heard tell of these people, but they exist, and I think that's a product of my age too, right? That I. <laughs> started collecting cds when i started listening to music yeah exactly like i had i had vinyl growing up but like the difference for me between vinyl and cds Mm -hmm. and cassettes during that period in between when everyone was buying cassettes for for a hot second i can't musically i can't tell the difference right if i if it's like coke and pepsi if i listened to them side by side i'd probably be Uh able to but i haven't had a record player and a cd player in the same room for the longest time and i have a handful of records Mm -hmm. but but yeah really i mean cds you could play them in your car. You could play them at home. You can then put them in the computer once that came along. Right, right. There's no reason for yeah. me to get anything so else. So when we get to Sonic Youth, if you're a Sonic mm-hmm. Youth fan, first of all, uh, apologies for the <laughs> overcompression of the drumming. Yeah, yes, we will be playing the compact disc version <laughs> of the album. Uh, so this one uh, takes a nation of millions to hold us back. This is the second Public Enemy album uh, released in June of 1998. Mm-hmm. 88, uh, yeah. This one, I think we both agree, is very good. Yes, Mm-hmm. And to listen to Chuck D on this album is so good and yeah. so powerful. Mm-hmm. I think he really does kind of bridge the gap mm-hmm. from the old school 80s hip hop to the new school of 
still 80s, but then yeah, yeah. advancing beyond just the boasting and the, uh, you know, MC battles and stuff like that. Yeah. This is more... This means something. More politically charged, yeah. uh, more uh, lyrically interesting, I think. Yeah, definitely. Let's play... Uh, I wanted to play... She watched Channel Zero, which is track 10 on the CD. Oh, yeah. And uh, one interesting thing was originally this was sort of going to kick off the album because the sides are actually rever- were reversed originally. Okay. They, every, the uh, track right before She watched Channel Zero, which is kind of an instrumental-ish uh, you know, Terminator X kind of song. And then that was going to be the first side and then the, the other tracks before that. Oh, the interesting. Side. So Bring the Noise was not going to be like right. the big That would have kicked off side two opener. and not oh, side one. All right. Which I think it makes sense that they reverse because that's the track you should lead off. With, right, right. But, uh, but I like this one a lot too. I don't know if it would have been a good lead off track, but I still yeah. like it. public enemy right there that's public enemy <laughs> can we talk about the fact that that public enemy is probably most famous now for a vh1 reality show that came around 15 years yeah, later it's a, it's a little disappointing it's a little disappointing but i know especially i mean flavor flavor obviously has been a character he's one on yeah. this even but i think it was more uh you know he got to he got off track clearly a little bit later. yeah <laughs> but i like that song because it's it's kind of to me shows like that they are paying attention to the lack of representation on tv and how mm-hmm. you, she watched channel zero because none of the actual channels show anybody that she relates to right. or looks like her or and so uh, it's interesting to see um attacking you know obviously 30 years ago and now we still have problems of people not being represented on yeah. TV. With an explosion of a thousand channels yeah. and still. <laughs> yeah, nothing. exactly. The, the the title of the album is It Takes a, million, a Nation of Millions to Hold Us Back. And that is simultaneously uh, just sort of this this expression of defiance. You know, mm-hmm. It's a line from one of the songs. And right. it's this expression of defiance. And it's also pessimistic mm-hmm. because there is a nation of right. millions <laughs> And the cover of the album is Chuck D behind bars. Mm-hmm. So, like, we are, in fact, being held back. And 
there is this lack of representation and there is this injustice and there is this righteous anger but it's going to take a lot of force to keep that going because mm-hmm. the revolution is coming yeah yeah Definitely. This is a this is a good album to listen to alongside the Clash because it's the yeah. it's the two albums of just sort of righteous working class uh, African American in this case but working class anger mm-hmm. that just defines the Reagan era and the Thatcher era of the eighties sort of in opposition to the excess and the drum machine synthesizer Starship right. late Pink Floyd kind of stuff that mm-hmm. you get and I think the production on this is really impressive too I think they have a lot of they they even talk about it in some interviews that they just tried to create a wall of noise yep. you know behind every track and i think they succeeded yeah but definitely. it's it's noise that is focused and still musical yeah you know which yeah. is pretty impressive yeah love it i i want to get to sonic youth <laughs> well then let's get to here's it. the one where we disagree october of 1988 I've got uh, my claws out for this The album. same year as that Public Enemy album. Yeah, yeah. The same year, huh? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, while Andy is pulling the uh, the Sonic Youth album out of its out of its shell, uh, rule number one, kids, if you are if you are going through and listening to albums for the first time and you've never really experienced Sonic Youth and you've always heard about them and how great they are and you're sitting down and listening to them, do not listen to Sonic Youth immediately after first listening to The Clash and Public Enemy (laughs) because the comparison is not good. So Aaron and I obviously disagree on this because I think (laughs) Daydream Nation, October 1988, uh, Sonic Youth's fifth album, I think is very good. Yeah. I like it a lot. And one interesting thing that actually ties it to the Public Enemy album is the producer of Daydream Nation, Nick Sassano, uh, was actually one of the engineers on It Takes a Nation of Millions to Hold Us Back. Mm. So it, it's interesting to go from you know creating a wall of noise and loops and drum machines to a wall of guitars. I think they, there's a similar aesthetic there that just is a different uh, a different take you know on a similar sound. Yeah, definitely. But aside from that, I also like the songs, which <laughs> apparently you don't. Yeah, uh, for for a couple of reasons. First of all, like the and and Sonic Youth is the sort of the epitome of sort of dissonance discord Mm -hmm. uh atonality they tune their guitars differently uh and well known for that so like you you want to listen to that sonic youth is the band to go for um but over and above that like it's not even just the sound it's the fact that i i put on this album after the clash which is this like working class anger and just sort of Mm -hmm. righteous and very smart about it and the same thing with public enemy and then i put on sonic youth and my first thought within two tracks was ugh. There's a bunch of rich white kids pretending to be angry. And I'm right, by the way. All of these guys went to conservatory. They were all raised by, like, doctors mm-hmm. and professors. They went to conservatory. They they learned their instruments. And it's an extremely well-done album. Like, it's well-made. It's well-produced. Obviously, they're, they're great musicians. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I just imagine them sitting there together like, well, we got to make an album. What are the kids like? Oh, they're all like this anger stuff. Well, we can do that. <laughs> and then they make this album. And it's, I, I feel no emotion listening to Sonic Youth. And it's it's the follow-up from The Clash and Public Enemy. And then it's just like, eh, these people have nothing to be angry about. <laughs> and they're just pretending. Yeah. I, I did hear this later in my life, probably mm-hmm. early college is when I ended up getting it after uh, 
no, you know, I knew about Sonic Youth and probably heard a song here or there, but I didn't buy this until later. Um, my chief memory of Sonic Youth pr- before that being the episode of The Simpsons. The Simpsons from yeah, Lollapalooza. From Lollapalooza. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but, uh, I, yeah, I don't know. I think there's, obviously, you know, it's worth looking into somebody's background, but I've maybe I'm choosing to think that they use their powers for good instead of evil, <laughs> which they could have, but... Uh, well, let's hear. Is there a track you wanted to highlight? Uh, I like Teenage Riot. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, the songs are good. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I I went back and I listened to it again a second time because, like, I had this visceral reaction against it. And it's like, well, what if I, what if we go back and listen to it again, sort of outside of the context of having just listened to The Clash? Mm-hmm. Listening to it a second time, I can appreciate it for what it is. Right. Uh, and it's better. It's still, it just, it still doesn't speak to me, but... Uh, mm-hmm. But it's 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 very well done. I don't know. There's a couple of songs off of this. What do you want to listen to? Well, let's hear a little bit of Teenage Riot. That's probably Teenage Riot is good. Too. Yeah, and that was a, a single from there too. Not that they got much single play out yeah. there. But Jay Pashas for president. Yeah. So it's obviously good. <laughs> yeah. Just follow that up off of Bring the Noise. It's yeah. just not the same it's level. Di- they're of, very different. Of, yeah. And it's, it's funny to see them come out in the same year, just a yeah. couple months apart, to imagine that somebody might buy those back-to-back or yeah. even in the same visit. But yeah, I think as someone who always listens for guitar and listens to a lot of music, mm. it's guitar-driven. Yeah. Like it's still a very exciting album that sounds uh, still pretty uh, pretty modern. Yeah, it's fresh music. now because mm-hmm. like no one does what Sonic Youth does. No mm-hmm. one did it. No one does it now. Uh, and yeah, they're they're sort of in the same in the same category as, as like this is high praise for Sonic Youth, but mm-hmm. it's in the same category as someone like a Jimi Hendrix mm-hmm. in terms of being able to do things with guitars that you don't hear anyone else do. Right. And if you're listening for this, that sort of pounding guitar-driven stuff, like Teenage Riot is great for mm-hmm. that. Yeah. And this album too, um, from some of the interviews I was reading, they uh, 
wanted to capture more of what their live shows were like. So mm-hmm. a lot of the songs are longer and jammier than yep. than some of their older ones, which is, is yeah. pretty cool. Yeah, a lot of like six or seven minute tracks here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think this one was a double album. This one was a double album, yeah, yeah. and it it fits onto it fits onto a full length CD now because it's like it's a double album, but it's total right. seventy minutes. Uh, but yeah, so about I think it's three songs three songs per side. So uh, Hey Joni, which is their is it Hey Joni, mm-hmm. which is their tribute to Joni Mitchell, is that the one that starts the the second album? Yeah, I think yeah. so. If I remember right, the third side. Yeah, side side C. <laughs> yeah. It's funny, too, to look at the different ways, you know, the 80s were a time where CD, cassette, and vinyl were all kind of right there. Yes. So to see, like, Public Enemy actually, like, plotted out their album based on cassette. Mm. So the sides are 30 minutes each, and they wanted for it to immediately flip over to the next side when you did. Yeah, yeah. And then, uh, but uh, obviously a lot of them were still going for that 42, 48-minute LP length, too. Yeah. And then, like you said, all that translates to one CD now. Yeah. I, I really appreciate that for the the moments when you've got a band that really plots that out. Mm-hmm. Uh, the difference between the format suddenly makes a difference. I was listening to... I sat down and listened to Abbey Road for the first time. Uh-huh. This was years ago. I really made a thing out of it because I'd <laughs> never listened to it. I knew what a great album it was. So mm-hmm. I like shut the door removed all distractions like stuck the cd in and just laid down on my bed and listened to it for an hour for 45 minutes Mm -hmm. and the contrast between uh i want you she's so heavy and because right Mm -hmm. there in the middle of the album is like you've got this like build up build up build up build up and then like the song cuts out and then you've got this sort of almost angelic choir uh, and because, and that's the end of the first side and the beginning of the second side. Right. So in real life, you're supposed to like, I want you. She's so heavy. Cuts off. You're supposed to stand up, walk over, pick up the record, flip it over, put it back right. down, and turn it on again. But if you're listening to the CD, it's this instantaneous like build up, build up, build up, build up, immediate cut off, angelic choir, and it's like one of the most powerful right. moments. Uh, just in the entire discography of the Beatles. And it's a moment that doesn't even exist until 20 years later yeah. when you have a format that allows for it. Same uh, for like Led Zeppelin Four, right? Like yeah, yeah, yeah. Stairway to Heaven ends yep. the first side, but mm-hmm. then it's in the middle of the CD now. So yeah. If somebody didn't realize that that was two sides, they'd be like, "Why is this not the last yeah. song on it?" Oh, maybe you should uh, maybe you should public enemy it and just start yeah, just in the, the middle side. and just flip <laughs> yeah. it back over again. Yeah, there you go. When the levee breaks, perfectly good middle of the album. It's a pretty song, good yeah. middle of the album. Yeah, like that. But uh, yeah. so then after Daydream Nation. Well, let me let me oh, let me sure. just wrap up uh, my my rip on Sonic Youth <laughs> with this uh, fun detail that I discovered today. Uh, Sonic Youth existed as a band until 2011, when Thurston Moore and Kim Gordon, who had been married mm-hmm. that whole time, they broke up. Right. And as soon as they broke up, the band ended, thus proving that Sonic Youth crumbles into dust the second the band members encounter any little shred of actual adversity Uh then the band disappears they were playing at anger the whole time (laughs) well maybe bring fleetwood mac in to show them how real (laughs) rock music is done keep that anger and turn it into a (laughs) record-selling album exactly all right so after well same year 1988 a couple months earlier i paired these two together because they're the same band yeah in march of 1988 
was Surfer Rosa, the first album by the Pixies. First full length, I should say. Which I didn't realize until looking this up that this was their first. I knew they had music before this, mm-hmm. uh, but they really just have one EP okay. before Surfer Rosa. I was excited about listening to the Pixies. I hadn't before. Like, and, and again, I don't. I'm listening to 80s music for the first time with you, but I am a big fan of the Dandy Warhols. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they've got you know, sort of an album track called Cool as Kim Deal, which is one of my favorite Dandy Warhol songs of all time, and by extension, one of my favorite <laughs> songs of all time. So I was excited to listen to the Pixies because I had never actually encountered Kim Deal in the flesh before. Uh-huh. I just knew her secondhand through this song. So if the Dandy Warhols are a fan, I think I'll be okay. Yeah, and I started listening to them, uh, you know, late 90s, early 2000s, as I became like obsessed with Nirvana and mm-hmm. looking up all their influences yeah. and stuff like that. So that's when I got this one and shortly after the next one. Uh, but let's hear a little track. I'm not going to, I'll play one of the, something from the middle that maybe doesn't get as much play. All right. This is River Euphrates. an album that should have come out 10 years after it Mm -hmm. did yeah when everybody was listening to it yeah this is the this is the equivalent for me of like listening to early led zeppelin and just reflecting on the fact that they were doing that while the beatles were still doing i want to hold your hand yeah and that's one fun thing that i that i like about having my cds all chronological Uh you see what's right next to each other like that yeah but yeah this one i think is still such a good cohesive album that uh, it has that classic Pixies loud, quiet, loud yep. uh, sound to yep. it that is still really fun and holds up incredibly yeah. well. Yeah, and just it's it's fun. Mm-hmm. Like, to listen to this album, you can tell that they're having fun doing yeah. it, that it's fun to listen to, and you still get that the dissonance, the discord, the frustration, that sort of nihilism mm-hmm. that you get from like a sonic youth, but you also just have so much damn fun listening yeah. to it that like you get that as and that's what you also get from the clash mm-hmm. as well. Like it's the it's the reaction, it's the defiance, it's the anger, and it's also like, yeah, but we're also gonna have fun doing this. Yeah. I love that from the Pixies. What's funny too is this album came out in nineteen eighty eight, of course. Mm-hmm. 
it went gold in 2005. Yeah. Uh, gold, not even platinum, just gold. Yeah. And I was actually... And I, this is after they'd gotten back together and they were going on tour again, yeah, right? So exactly. this is album sales from the tour. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, tr- trickling over from the last yep, yep. almost 20 years. I, I saw them uh, live uh, back in Maryland in 2005. Uh, and they actually were presented with their gold record on stage at, that at the show. show. Oh, that's at. awesome. I was like, wow, nice. that's hilarious. But what did they do with it? Uh, I, they took it, and then they t- they just kind of set it down. I was going to say, like, they kind of, it seems like an awkward moment <laughs> yeah. in the middle of a concert. And now the halftime show yeah. where we present you with your gold record. It was really funny, but yeah. they, they got a kick out of too that it took almost 20 years for yeah. them to sell what a hundred thousand copies or whatever gold yeah. is five hundred thousand is it yeah maybe i think so yeah either way far less than even momentary lapse of reason which sold four million, million copies <laughs> yeah well i mean it's pink floyd yeah, you know sure, of course. just imagine like there's eight times as many households in america yeah. right now that have a momentary lapse of reason just sitting in <laughs> oh, there that's a horrible thought <laughs> But then uh, they followed it up the following year, April 1988, with Doolittle, which is their mm-hmm. second full length, uh, which actually sold better than Surfer Rosa. It, it, it only took till 1995 to go gold. Oh, good. So a full 10 years. Sooner. So Surfer Rosa, which is the sort of the more influential album, mm-hmm. gold, like doesn't sell nearly as many copies as Doolittle does. Yeah. And it's they uh, had a moderately successful single with uh, monkey gone to heaven mm. off of this one um i think it was even on the gross point blank soundtrack if i'm not mistaken but uh well there were two yeah so maybe it's on the second yeah. one but uh the they actually ended up going on tour in the early 90s with u2 which is a strange bill yeah when you think about it but i but i think that helped their sales a little bit yeah too. and it also i mean it's it's a strange bill but like literally every 90s band listened with to the pick well i'll tour with you two and listen to the pixies mm-hmm. so you can pair any 90s band up with either you two or the pixies and it's fine yeah yeah so what are we listening to off of this one uh you can pick one I, I, oh I'm uh, right here. Well, let's listen to monkey gone to heaven okay yeah You can hear every 90s frontman listening to this album while you're listening to yeah, it. Yeah, you really can. Yeah. It's funny, too. I think the um, the production on this one is a little different than Surfer Rosa, mm-hmm. uh, which they do have different producers. The first one was Steve Albini. This one was Gil Norton, who would end up producing all the rest of their stuff from here on out. But uh, I think it's a little cleaner, but it still has that same Pixies quality. Yeah. 
yeah both I, good albums yeah and and for for me the pixies like i i appreciate and it's the same thing and i mentioned this with public enemy and i mentioned it was sort of 50 50s rock music like mm-hmm. I, I appreciate the history and just how influential this band is if i'm listening to music i try to listen to it sort of out of historical context mm-hmm. so just the intrinsic quality of the music itself if this album had come out 10 years later like it should have uh-huh. it probably would have fit right in the middle yeah. there's nothing about the pixies that makes them better mm-hmm. than all of the other great bands that came out in the 90s they're just sort of in that same group but the fact that this was made in 1988 1989 and all of the great 90s stuff is coming out two years later, three years later, eight years later, ten years later, mm-hmm. uh, makes the Pixies just that significant in yeah. rock history. Like, there aren't that many bands out there that influenced as that has uh, that have as big of an influence on just sort of the history and the trajectory of, mar- of rock music than the Pixies mm-hmm. do. Yeah, and I think they're still influencing people today. Oh, yeah, probably. definitely. And the ones that they're with in terms of influence, they get a lot of credit for being that influential. Like mm-hmm. the Velvet Underground is the one that springs to mind. Right. Uh, the Pixies are that 20 years later, yeah. and they deserve that place. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that is the seventh album that I have from the 1980s. And that completes Andy's collection. We're done. So Good we're night, done. Everybody. That was it. Yeah, that was right. it. Yeah, good podcast. Uh, so coming up, the next thing we'll do is I got to get some heavy hitters. Yes. In. There's some obvious ones from the 80s that millions and millions of people, even more people than own Momentary Lapse of Reason. What? More people yeah, own? Believe it or not, there were records that, that sold even better. That can't possibly be true. I own six copies of Momentary <laughs> Lapse of Reason. Maybe that's why it sold so well. Everybody bought <laughs> multiple copies. Yeah. Maybe Roger Waters went and bought every single one just so he <laughs> just could to burn destroy them, them all. Yeah. <laughs> yeah maybe. I okay. don't care if you have all the money. Supposedly they were even touring at similar times after that album. Ended, oh, yeah. And he wouldn't even talk to them. I have no doubt. Yeah, yeah. I believe it. But So, yeah, next week we're going to go over some of the big ones. We'll look at uh, some Michael Jackson. Mm-hmm. We'll look at some Prince. Purple uh, Rain. Right? My goal is to do five albums each, t- each week. Okay. Um, and we're going to start kind of going uh, by genre. Mm-hmm. Next week it's just the genre of... Very big. successful. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but after that, we'll kind of break it down. We'll get there are it. some people that we listen to today who would consider very successful to be a genre. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's true. Uh, but then uh, this one's kind of, you know, this week was good because it was actually, there's a lot of places to go from these ones that I had. Mm. You know, there's there's the early hip hop that, we, that we're going to get into, yep. early alternative, uh, as well as just popular albums yeah. of the 1980s. I got to be I got to be iconoclastic with something next time too. So today I talked about how much I don't like Sonic Youth. Tune in next time to hear how much I hate Ferris Bueller's Day Off. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, ne- next week we'll get some heavy hitters and then after that uh, we'll see what's next. All right. But, uh, sounds good. Aaron, thank you for joining me. Andy, thank you and for this having me. Has been Andy Here's the 80s. Andy Here's the 80s. Thank you. All right. Thanks for listening to Andy Here's the 80s. Now, I want to hear from you. Send me an email at andyhearsthe80s at gmail.com. That's 80s spelled out, E-I-G-H-T-I-E-S, at gmail.com. Or follow me on Twitter at andyhearsit. Let me know what you thought of the show, and let me know what some of your favorite 80s music is, and ones I should definitely not skip over. Thanks for listening, and see you next week. Bye.